And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. All right, look, whether you've started a new business you want to start a new business or you've been in business for a long time, you're going to find that there's a whole lot of shit you shouldn't do when you start a business. Now, it's a lot easier to understand what that is when you've done it a couple of times. And it's really hard to understand what it is when you haven't done it at all. I even wrote a book on the subject. If you want to check out Million Dollar Bedroom, it is pretty much a story of all the things we did right and more things that we did wrong and what we learned from that. And that's what we're going to get into today. Before I mention who I'll be having a conversation with today, quick question. Are you thinking about starting a new business or expanding a current one? If you are, then it's important to get set up and maintained properly. That's exactly what the folks at Universal Registered Agents do. They do LLCs, S-Corps, C-Corps, nonprofits, no problem. Learn more by clicking the Universal Registered Agents link in the show notes. Now, as usual, I have someone here to, well, today to talk about the shit you don't do when you shouldn't do when you start a new business. I've got someone that's super qualified for a number of different reasons. With me today, I've got Trisha Meyer, and she is the co-founder of The Clever Baby Honestly, I don't know what a clever baby is, but I hope that I, I like I like anything that's clever. And she is also the founder and managing attorney at Meyer Law. So we're going to get a perspective of a founder and an attorney who knows that might bring the world to a stop. And it also might provide us with a lot of really useful and interesting information. Let's go ahead and just say, Trisha, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, and you know, I like to go ahead and let whoever I'm having a conversation with kind of set the pace by giving us a little bit of backstory. So you've got two things here. You've got the clever baby, and I'd like to hear more about, well, what makes a baby clever? And then also, what is the business? And then also a little bit about Meyer Law. I believe one of your associates was on a different episode with me recently. And um, let's go ahead and, and hear all about that. That's right. Awesome. Okay, great. So the Clever Baby, we recently launched our first product called Jet. It is the first one of a kind product that is basically a baby food feeder, medicine dispenser and teether in one and it's in the shape of an airplane and it is adorable. So when you're feeding your baby with a spoon, you know how messy it can be. More ends up all over them than actually in them. And so this allows you to know how much your baby's getting, makes it less mess, and it's super perfect for those parents that are on the go and need to kind of feed as they're, as they're moving around or going from one place to another. Um, so it makes it really easy for parents and really fun for your baby. Okay. So then also as an attorney at Meyer Law, and you're, you're, all this stuff's going on in the Chicago, Illinois vicinity. I should have mentioned that, but 
you know, then you're also, you know, the managing partner and founder at Meyer Law, which you guys do a lot of work with startups and early stage businesses, if I'm correct. Yeah, that's correct. So I started the firm over 12 years ago now after working um, at large corporations, working on technology deals. I started the firm 12 years ago, uh, focused on helping tech companies because that's really what I knew. And so we help tech companies from early stage startups all the way to uh, legal departments at large companies with six main areas, corporate contracts, employment, protection of IP, fundraising and privacy. We are different than most law firms in that I am an entrepreneur at heart, uh, but a lawyer by trade. And so we do run the firm in a different way. Um, we offer a lot of fixed fee packages for those early stage companies. And we're also rolling out a new membership program and on-demand courses to help educate. I love to hear that you wrote a book on, uh, you know, the shit that you shouldn't do when you start a business, uh, in other terms, because, you know, we're all going to help if we all help each other, we'll get much further more quickly and so i love that you're highlighting those things i think that there is a perception out there uh, that entrepreneurship is glamorized and so giving any nuggets of information or wisdom uh, of a realistic look at what it takes to start and scale a business i just love i love it and that's been the whole premise of this podcast actually was the idea that you know when matt watson and i started it which is now four and a half years ago it's crazy to think it's been out that long and you know this will be around the 850th episode but we said you know we said said matt i said matt we should start a podcast and he said about what and i said i don't know he said well it shouldn't be about us being successful and i said let's tell the real story of entre entrepreneurship like the realest point of view like like we're going to start the ep well episode one's welcome to start apostle episode two is titled getting funded sucks so we have definitely come out with the gloves off and wanting to tell the the story of this now you know so much about starting a new business is setting it up properly now i should have mentioned that you know during the month of may um, for my guest episodes, and uh, I've, we've got a bit of a, of a series here. So, you know, last week, if you're following, you got to listen to Setting Up a Business Entity. That was with Melody Ashby. And this is kind of a follow up to that, talking about, you know, so some of that, that was a lot more structural. Like, and honestly, on some levels, it's going to be a little more boring than some of the stuff we'll talk about today because some of it was mechanical, you know, like what, it, what is an LLC and why should you do that? Um, but, you know, and then we're going to, you know, next week we've got an episode that's a new business checklist. Um, uh, and then, you know, moving on past that to talk about how to easily incorporate your business and then protecting your time, effort and data. And actually my business partner and co-host Matt Watson is going to be on the fifth part of that. Now, um, I, I believe that you've published some videos recently about business structures and stuff like that. Now we did talk a lot about that last week with Melody, but I believe that it would probably be a good idea to get your, your brief overview on, on some of that before we get into like, well, I, I was the first thing not to do to, uh, to ignore what a business structure is or not care about it. That's correct. I mean, you don't want to take on personal liability when you are, uh, as going to be running a business. So setting up that business entity is key in making sure that you're following any formalities required by that particular structure is key, um, because you do want to protect your personal assets. 
And, you know, so just to go back, like by default, when you start any kind of business or venture, you're a sole proprietor, which is honestly the worst setup possible because you've, and I talk about this in million dollar bedroom about knowing that the moment that I knew that the business that we ended up starting was going to be a business, I needed to actually make it its own thing. And, you know, you want to separate your life from your business, okay. even though, uh, it, which it sounds like an oxymoron, because as an entrepreneur, your business is in many ways going to still be your life. But uh, if things don't go well, I think any attorney will, will tell you that you need to plan for sunny days and rainy days. So just separating your business and letting it be its own thing and not commingling it with every part of your life is not, it's going to make your, it's going to make things a lot easier. And like, so shit that you shouldn't do when you start a new business, commingle it with your personal finances. Correct. Um, it's just not, it's an accounting nightmare. It's not the right way to do it. And a business needs to be separate from your basic checking account. Is that a fair statement? Yes, a hundred percent. Right. You don't want to commingle assets. If you do, then actually it could put you on the hook for taking on personal liability, which is the whole purpose for setting up that separate legal entity from yourself. So uh, yeah, you do not want to commingle. Well, and if you have partners or you want to have partners or investors too, then that's an even worse idea. Correct. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Okay. So one of the things that I hear a lot from, from founders and they'll reach out or like they'll, they'll say, so I really just don't know how much equity to give the other partner. And I find that people give away way too much before they know anything at all. Like, I mean, what's, what's your experience with that maybe as an attorney or as an entrepreneur and like, how do you like, I think that's like pretty high on the list of shit you shouldn't do. It's like, they're like, oh, this person's going to work with me. So I'll give them 50% of the company. Did you guys have the idea together? Do you have an equal vested interest in it? And then literally what a lot of people find is that other person they bring in was nowhere near as passionate about finding the answers in the business as they were. And the next thing you know, you're in this really, you're, you're in a shitty spot because someone might own a whole lot of your business and you gave it to them without setting up some basic parameters as to how, when, where, or why they should actually be a shareholder. Exactly. I think that oftentimes, especially at an early stage, people might not have the capital to put towards their business. And so instead they'll grant equity and they won't document it properly or they'll promise over an email what they're going to be granting and they don't make it subject to any restrictions or any clear triggers. And so then they're stuck in business with this person that's not performing. Um, because I can tell you on day one and day 30, 60, 90, you know, a year later, uh, people are different. <laughs> people are different. Oh, yeah. And you oh, want to yeah. make sure that they are going to rise to the occasion and to your expectations and to the duties and the obligations, which they are jumping onto your team to help serve. And so um, you absolutely want to document it properly. And you 99.9% .9 of the time, you absolutely want to make sure that if you are granting equity in your company to somebody else, that you're making it subject to vesting. And whether that be certain dates, uh, portions get triggered or certain milestones, you can be creative uh, and it doesn't, it's not the same, you know, company to company, uh, but you definitely want to document that properly and make sure that everybody is clear on that. So let's uh, I, I, because I'm super useful, Tricia, I Googled vesting while you were talking. So um, <laughs> the conveying to an employee of an unconditional entitlement to a share and a pension fund is one. 
Now that's if you're an employee somewhere, you may vest into your 401k or it's match or something like that. Um, and, but really like when it comes to like vesting at, in a partnership, what, what Trisha means is like saying, okay, so if I bring you on, so I have this idea to build this awesome tech because right. all the tech I build is awesome. Right now with that, I'm a non-technical founder. So I need someone awesome. That's technical. There's a couple of things that I see people make mistakes. They're like, Oh, that's my co-founder. Is it? Cause you need to think about like, I always look at replacement value. Like what could you go hire a, a developer for? Now I'm in that business. So I've got, I employ 250 software developers, go to fullscale.io. We can help you find that person. So what's the replacement value of it? And I see people give away like 25% of the company to someone just cause they can write code. Right. Now that that's, and that's different. Cause you know, you look later, if you get things going and now if your company, say you get a million dollar valuation later, is that that's $250,000 worth of your million dollars. Did that person produce that much? Like, could you, you know, now maybe you don't have the money at all. Yeah. Maybe that's what, what occurs, but those are the kind of setups that people run into. I also see people do this with friends and family a lot. Oh, I, um, I do not rec I do not recommend going into business with your friends or family. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. I'm so happy to hear you say that. It's a oh tough, my God. Yeah. it's a tough, it's a tough thing though, to explain to people who are, you know, who, who are down that path. Um, but it can ruin relationships. I've seen it happen time and time again. And, uh, you know, on that end with founders, co-founders, that's another area that I see where people just don't get a founder's agreement in place. It is so necessary when you're starting a business with somebody because circumstances change. People have varying definitions of what strong work ethic looks like. And you need to have a process in place as to how you will handle those situations. If somebody needs to leave the company, how are you going to handle it? Who can they transfer their interest to? How are you going to value it? You know, all of those things to, to figure out early on. It's just so important. Sunny days and rainy days. Any, right. any contract agreement plan, any of that needs, if it doesn't have, if it doesn't have consideration for things going well or not going well, it is incomplete. It yes. is not, doesn't have what you need. So let's talk a little bit about the friends and family thing. So, all right. So I actually proved that. So my wife worked with me in the million dollar bedroom business for six straight years. Mm -hmm. uh, and she was an integral part of our success. And over the years, so many people said to me, like, they, they're basically, we were an anomaly, right? Like yeah. nine out of 10 situations, people are, people are like, dude, I tried to work with my husband and fuck yeah. that. My husband and you I know? work together. So I have to qualify what I said with that because my right. husband have been starting businesses and running businesses for the last, uh, 20, almost 20 years together. So I say people shouldn't start a business with their friends and family. It's just not advisable. Just know what you're getting into. Cause the exactly. thing is, is like, if you get, if you, especially if it's your spouse or your partner or whomever, like you get, the thing is you're going to work with that person all day. And then like the, it becomes very difficult to like draw a line between like what's work and what isn't. And and also for the million dollar bedroom business, which was a high volume, turned into a very high volume event ticket brokerage that was in the house too. So there really was no separation. Mm -hmm. uh, now, now, you know, Jill and I did, did well with it, 
because we were both good at, we have different personality types, which is actually good. Yeah. And she was good at a lot of the stuff that I wasn't good at. Now we also, so, but there was times, there was days where you're like, Hey, so this is where it's a problem. It's like, Trisha, we'll just pretend we're, we're virtual spouses here. Trisha, I need you to do a better job at this. Right. And you're like, you're always telling me what to do. And now you're like, you know, if, now if an employee tells you that enough, you can just fire the employee and bring someone right. else in. Yeah. A little bit harder to do that with, with your, with your partner. Right. So, um, and the same thing with family members, you're just going to find like, okay, so if you're the key driver at the, at the venture, you're passionate about the business and you, and hopefully about the problem that you're solving. Cause if either one of the, if you're not passionate about both of those, you're probably not going to do that well, but the people that you bring in with you likely aren't. Right. So, you know, the problem is, is I think that, that if you end up with your brother, sister, uncle, someone, um, and they're not doing a good job and you have to make a change, it's going to, you're going to see that person at like family stuff and Hard. it can be very, it can be uncomfortable. It yeah. can be really uncomfortable. And it also makes it a lot harder, in my opinion, to have that tough conversation of like, hey, I, I, I got to let you go. Yeah, I you're agree. Not, you're not good at that. Right. So, which, you know, hanging on to that for too long, it can really. Okay, so. Yeah, it can impact the company. It can. It can impact you, the company. Oh, yeah, that's totally. where you're going with yeah. it. Yeah, right. Because it's not fair to everybody else that's working so hard or whatever the case may be, wherever that person's not pulling their weight. Okay. So is, is, are decent contracts and agreements the way to solve these things? Uh, yes. Contracts are not optional. That is for sure. Nor are they one size fits all. <laughs> you know, sometimes people will find things online and just tweak it a little bit for their own company, but every company is different. Every company has different relationships, different risk tolerances, and those things all need to be accounted for in different contracts. And I think people um, overlook that a lot. And then they try, they end up cleaning up a costly mistake that they probably could have avoided had they just done it right in the beginning. Yeah, I've been there and done that. I even wrote about it in Million Dollar Bedroom. And you know, that's uh, the struggle's real. By the way, the last comment on vesting, there's a, a past guest in a really cool app called Slicing Pie. You can go yes, to slicingpie. Mike Moyer. Yes. We, yeah, Mike. Yeah. So we he, he's figured this, he figured out this problem. And yeah, he's from Chicago too. That's right. Um, so, uh, but what it is, is a platform that tracks like it, the vesting of sweat equity, essentially. And so, and it'll help like really determine what amount of effort, what amount of time turn into what amount of shares and stuff like that. So um, I have no vested, I have no vested interest in you using his vesting software. I just think that it's a, a cool thing that someone, and he's really thought a lot of that out. So, and I'll all right. Say so this. Before- yeah, I'll say this. We mentor at incubators and accelerators across the U.S. It's part of our, you know, we're very mission driven, passionate about that. And we always tell the other founders who ask us, you know, how do I divide up the equity? We always uh, recommend Mike Moyer's book, Slicing Pie, because it gives them a guideline and a baseline. And it's like 20 bucks a month. 
It's okay. like you're really yeah. not out of a whole lot. Yeah, it's not expensive. So, all right, before we head into the second half of today's episode, setting up a new business and maintaining compliance isn't easy. That's why it's important to have expert help along the way. And that's exactly what you'll find when you visit universalregisteredagents.com for all of your business setup and maintenance needs. They can help you set up an LLC, a corporation, or nonprofits wherever you are located. In addition to helping you create the right kind of entity, Universal Register registeredagents.com can also help you with registered agent services and a wide variety of corporate services, as well as helping to meet the needs of independent directors. Now, you know, this is, there's, okay, it's easy to want to like go to these little things online that are like, Hey, $500 set up your business. Every time I've tried one of those, I ended up having to hire either a service like that or an attorney to actually finish it. Yeah. No, you are. So you end up with right. a boilerplate template of documents that aren't customized to anything you need. They will add those little, those basic kits will maybe register you at the state, but then they kind of leave you like you, I don't know, like I don't recommend them. I recommend getting experts like universal That's like all they do or an attorney or someone that knows what they're doing and has thought about, has seen failure and arguments and depositions and lawsuits and stuff and from other people that didn't do it right and talk about how to fix it. So, yeah. okay, well, I'm going to just kind of leave what, what, what is on your list of shit you shouldn't do when you start a new business. So another thing is you want to make sure that you're protecting your two most valuable assets and that is intellectual property and confidential information. So to the extent you're going to be sharing your confidential information with someone, make sure that they are signing a confidentiality agreement that includes a clear purpose, broad enough definition of confidential information. And most importantly, you want to make sure that the obligations extend past the term of the agreement. You don't want it to be limited to a short duration of time. You want to, you know, expand that to as long as you can. With respect to it, the... It, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. If you want, if you want to work with me on any level, like at full scale or any of the companies we're associated with, I've got an NDA and I have a confidentiality agreement that say that the things we talk about in and around the business are they stay there, um, and that you can't share them and other things too. Is it even has like non disparagement because. Right. Because when you have to break up with someone, they go from being often will go from being your biggest advocate to your biggest hater. Right. And it's real easy to put those kind of things in there. And another thing, too, is you talk about intellectual property control. That's part of why we started full scale. So full scale, we, we build tech teams for tech companies. And a lot of these companies, there's like these freelance marketplaces and stuff like that. And they go and they're like, yeah, but it says I have IP control. I'm like, OK, well, this dude's in Bangladesh. Right. And good luck chasing that down. If right. you don't have you don't have recourse, they could be like, yeah, here we have an agreement with the people in our marketplace. Okay, cool. Now what happens if they break that agreement? Right. How are you gonna, you know, and some of those things like I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna mention the the service, but I had used a freelance marketplace many, many years ago and ended up with a service contractor trying to blackmail me for my code base. Oh wow. Yeah. No, that's part of what made me want to start full scale because, you know, like the people that that we build teams for, we have agreements all the way down the line, like we fully vetted, like they are our employees, they aren't just contractors and they and there is recourse if they run off with the keys to the castle. Yeah, we've never had it happen because we have a well set up 
arrangement, we find the right people. But, you know, I I think kind of in Congress to what you're saying is also know who you're in business with, you know, like, it's not difficult to do a background check on someone. It's not difficult to pick up the phone and call someone and say, how was your relationship working with or around this person? Right. Absolutely. And I think where a lot of early stage companies go wrong is they hire folks to do things for them, but they don't have a contract in place. And the default under the law is whomever creates it owns it. And so if you don't have a contract that's stating that they are transferring those ownership rights to you, then you don't even own the intellectual property that's been created. And so, you know, I think that's one huge mistake that early stage companies make. And then if you are giving people access to your intellectual property, like on the client side or um, with referral partners maybe, or whatever the case may be, you have to put restrictions and rights and parameters around how they can use your intellectual property. So it's, not only important for those that are creating it for you, but also if you are sharing it with anybody that you are making sure that you have the right protections in place for that. Because you, I mean, that is one of your most valuable assets of your business. And if, especially if you're going to raise money or anything like that, you know, the investors will look at the integrity of your intellectual property to make sure that it's okay. And you'll be making representations and warranties um, to that effect too. And so it's important to just do it right than to have to clean it up on the back end. I have that conversation all the time with prospects that want to use full scale. And, you know, so, you know, we're obviously a pretty big company at this point, but that protection of intellectual property is important at all levels. So I'll get on the phone with someone and they'll be like, well, you're a little more expensive than this freelance marketplace. I'm like, I'm not in the business of cheap. I'm in the business of delivering you exactly what you need to be able to get funded, to be able to grow, to be able to protect your IP, all of that. And that and that requires more effort. And yeah. so one of the things is, you know, and what Trish is talking about is if you piece, if you cobble together a software platform with a bunch of freelancers that are all over the world, that technically your intellectual property is everywhere. You don't have, and that's the thing that'll come up. They'll say, how do you, how are you going to keep this? How are you going to protect this? And they're like, oh, well, I have agreements with these people. You know, and someone's in Bangladesh, another person's in Singapore, someone else is in Kenya. And you're like, but you get back to the, the question is, is what's your recourse? Right. How are, do, who do you know? Who do you know that's going to go chase that down? And here's the thing is after that leaks or gets out and that's already out there, damage is, is already done in a lot of the cases. So you have to protect that from, from happening. And, you know, think about the different steps and like, okay, so I don't have any investors in full scale, but everything we still do when we move forward with all that we do is always set up in a way of a what if, Mm -hmm. you know? So I, and these things aren't hard. You just have to think about them and just like be committed to like, understanding that that is actually important. Yeah. So I think with, with IP and also like a non-compete, like if you're going to have co-founders and I want to talk about founders agreements here in a minute, but um, you know, you, if you're start a business with someone, you should have a non-compete agreement with them that prohibits them from like, if at one moment you disagree, they just walk across the street and duplicate the business. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're fighting over clients and all this other stuff. And if you don't have a simple agreement in there that says you can't do that, then they can do that. Yep, that's absolutely true. Another important point about intellectual property is understanding what thirty, uh, what third-party products or services that you're using that may be embedded into the products you're using because there are terms associated with that that you need to abide by and sometimes you need to flow that down to your clients or users or you know depending on the type of the business you have. 
So just having a full scope and understanding of what IP is yours versus what IP of others that you're using is super important. Yeah. So our clients at full scale, like we literally, that was one of the first things we knew we had to tackle. So like that, that agreement says, basically it says anything you bring and anything that you build with our, with our folks is yours now and forever. It's that simple. Yeah. And that means we can't duplicate what you're doing and reuse it somewhere else. And that, I mean, that's important because Hey, you know, shit happens. All right. So what's a founder's agreement? So a founder's agreement, depending on the type of entity you have, would be like a shareholder's agreement for a corporation or an operating agreement for an LLC. And it sets forth everybody's kind of roles and responsibilities, talks about, you know, if somebody needs to leave the company, whom can they transfer their interest to? How will it be valued? Um, It also talks a lot about voting rights and, um, you know, thresholds. In certain instances, you might want a higher voting threshold um, for certain decisions. And in others, you know, maybe you don't need as high of a threshold. So going through that, really understanding what everybody's roles, responsibilities are. Um, I think founders go wrong, co-founders go wrong also with the vision, not understanding the vision, how they're going to get from point A to point B and disagreements occur. So the more you can have these challenging discussions early on and document it in a founder's agreement, the better off you're going to be. So I have notes here that it literally say, Matt, not from Webster's Dictionary, definition from the School of Hard Knocks. So it says the founder's agreement is like a roadmap explaining how you will handle certain situations. It includes everything about everybody's percentage ownership, the rights, the responsibilities, and the protections over things that might happen. Let me give you an example. So Matt Watson and I own full scale 50-50. What happens if I die? Right. Right. So my wife would inherit those shares, but there's, but both of our wives had to sign agreements stating how that would be handled. Like yeah. the company gets the option of buying the shares back first and it sets the price. Right. Cause here's the thing is like, as morbid as that is like, you know, like I, it's not fair to suddenly make someone have to be a business partner with your spouse. So, or, or put that person or the business in a spot of being held hostage for like, I don't think it's worth this. I think it's worth this. And, you know, like that could be, those could be really key or clutch shares. So in that part of the founder's agreement, uh, along with um, the, uh, God, I can't remember the name of that, the marital, the marital joinder agreement. Mm -hmm. The joinder. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, there we go. So. Um, but, but with that, it defines also the order of operations, like in which that it could still end up being that person's ownership, but it defines the process in which it would go through sets of values, makes it very clear and concise. And that's also important too, because if you want to bring in investors, like they don't want, they don't want to find out that your ex now ex-wife may end up owning 40% of the company if you get hit with a bus. Right, right. No, that's true. And I think, though, even more common is that circumstances change. People don't understand the level of effort it takes to start and grow a business. And so they might need to get out. They might need to make a, you know, a wage that they can live on. They might have a family to support, you know. And so I think you know, that's more common. Um, it's, it's hard to talk about death and disability and all those things, of course. But I think talking about those more common scenarios is really important early on too, because, you know, 
everybody uh, head their head is in the clouds when they're starting a business in a way, right? They wouldn't be starting the business. Well, that, that they, always, they always think sunny day. Yeah. They're like, hey, everything's, we're, we're about, we're, we're, let's put the horn on because we're unicorns already yeah. and like right. nothing's going to fail and everything's going to be great. Guess what? Right. The opposite's probably going to occur and then yeah. you're hoping for the sunny days. Right, right, right. Even with, I mean, you're always going to run into roadblocks with a business. Even with the Clever Baby, we just ran into so many roadblocks before we were able to get it launched and it's going to happen. But some of those roadblocks might discourage certain people depending on how they are and they might need to get out of the business. And so having a good founders agreement in place is key. Yeah. And other things. So like in that, um, so for example, when we started full scale, Matt was still the other Matt, Matt Watson was still um, the founder and CEO of Stackify, which means he didn't have the ability or capacity to work full time at full scale, which isn't which isn't fair to me, wouldn't have been fair to me to not let me collect some wage for being the CEO and running the company. So that's, that stuff is just described and laid out. And, and also other things too, you talk about things change. So um, for example, if one of us wanted to sell our share, any of our shares to another party, we have to offer them to the other person at the same price first. Right. Right. Exactly. So just giving you like, because we're a private company, we're not, you know, you don't go in the Robin hood app and buy shares of full scale. Right. Yet. <laughs> um, but, but with that, you know, that's part of what being a private company is. And just like this, look, there are people and professionals that are, that have thought, look, you go sit down with an attorney or like universal registered agents or these people. And like, these folks have thought this stuff out. They have already thought of like 47 things that are on the shit you shouldn't do when you start a new business list. And that's why. And so, okay. So I, I mentioned before, we hit record that I grew up around a family of attorneys. And sometimes people are like, I don't want to call the attorney. It's $500 right. an hour. Look, you're not paying for that hour. You're paying for all the hours prior to that, that that person learned everything that they learned so they can blow it all out for you in 90 minutes yeah. and, you know, like save you a lot of issues and problems. So find, find, get the best advice and specialists when, and where you can. Now with that, once again, a big thank you to today's episode sponsor, Universal Registered Agents. Set up your new business and maintain all aspects of your business compliance. Their goal is to make your job easier so you can focus on what you need to do best, which is running your business. Connect with them by visiting the universalregisteredagents.com link in the show notes. You know, so uh, there's something else I want to talk about here. And this, uh, that's, getting your accounting and financial practices off on the right foot. Mm -hmm. Very important. Very important. And a lot of people just don't know where to go or what to do. So finding start, start with QuickBooks, yeah, something, right, right. Track something. your track, you track the payments you collect and the money you spend and start there. Right. But find, you know, find someone that can help you with this. Cause you know, I'm mentioning here talking about business compliance. There are the goofiest things that like, so in the state of Kansas every year, I get this stupid document that if I don't fill it out, I'm not compliant. And it's like, a, it's, a, it's a stupid survey that I don't even know what they do with the answers. And then I got to send a check for like $25 back. Right, right, right. Yeah, no. But if I don't, but if I don't do that, if I don't do that, like I, I like I, it can trigger like nine other things that build penalties and other stuff. And yeah. it's easy to like miss that stuff or not know what to do with it. Or in some cases you get super busy. So you, you put the, you put the envelope over to the side. Next thing you know, five months later, you're like, uh Oh, yeah. And I think it's so important to work with people who've been there and done that people who can help guide you, help show you the way, help 
you avoid from running into those roadblocks, you're going to get much further more quickly and, you know, less heartache and pain. So I, th I think we have, do you have another item on your, on your shit to not do list? There's so many, uh, when you're hiring, know. you know, when you're hiring, make sure you're not misclassifying your, your folks, your team. You want to make sure that you're classifying them properly as an independent contractor or an employee, and then making sure you have solid documentation around that hire. I think having a standard business insurance policy is 100%. part of that. Yes, you definitely yeah. need. People don't realize that when they start a business, they need a banker, a lawyer, an accountant, an insurance broker. Those four people are key in the beginning. I'm going to add a payroll processor to that list because you shouldn't be doing that yourself either. True. That's true. But you like, could yeah. have your accountant run the breakdowns for you and then process it on your own if you wanted to. Most, most accountants will tell you they don't want to do the payroll either. There's things like like uh, we've had past sponsorship from Gusto.com and stuff like that that streamline a lot of that. Yeah. You know, Um I think one of the things that, you know, as we kind of go through a little rapid fire stuff here, um, mistakes that I see people make are they are too aggressive and optimistic with their financial projections and timelines. They think that yeah. they're going to make money and gain revenue or market share way faster than they do, which is I, I'd rather see you put that way out. Like assume you're going to make no money for twice as long as you as you thought you might. Um, another thing, too, is as as I've gotten older and. You, know, so you want to hear something crazy? So I just hired my 250th employee and I am right. the second, I am the second oldest person at the whole company at 46. Yeah. I'm like, wow. But so when I speak from experience, I don't even feel like I'm that old, but as I've, as I have gained more experience, as I've also created projections and different stuff, I make three of them. I do a good, better, best, you know, like yeah. I do one, I do one that's like the, everything went wrong version. Yeah. I did one that's like the conservative, like, Hey, this is okay. Yeah. And then I do one like aggressive, you know, cause here's the thing is not doing that. Okay. So if I'm going to hire 50 new people to work at full scale next month, that means I'm going to have to buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of computers. Right. If I have the opportunity to do that. Am I going to be constrained by, by something as, as straightforward as not being able to purchase equipment. And then you also look at things like, okay, we're in the midst of a global chip shortage. So like, we have distributors for equipment that we buy stuff from and they had, they put, they put caps and limits. So it, so what we had to do is instead we having one distributor that would let us buy five laptops a month when we're hiring 20 people a month, we had, we found 10 that we could get five a month for, cause our most aggressive projection said we could hire up to 50 people in a month. Yeah. So other things too is even stockpiling that equipment because we knew we were going to grow or later, like it's okay to stockpile the things you know you're going to use. Right. You know, yeah, like I if it, I mean, on some levels, I mean, I'm not saying buy the computers you need in three years now. Right. But like I mentioned, it's, it's really heartbreaking when you can't grow or capitalize on an opportunity because you didn't just simply prepare. Um, you know, it's easy to, to get an Amex card or like a lot of different things that'll help you flex some short-term credit. And, you know, like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there, but it does require like, I don't know. I think there's so many things in business that you're so much better off to have and not need. Yeah. Right. Than the other way around. Absolutely. You know, one other point I would bring up is uh, another, you know, shit you shouldn't do when you start a business is failing to protect your brand. 
It is so mm. important to protect your brand because it add, it increases the value of your business. Yeah. Well, when we talk about the brand, just meaning like there's, so we're pretty specific about that. And so one of the things, here's a real life example. So I could take in like, like five times more clients than I do, but, but a lot of the client potential clients we talk to quite honestly, aren't going to be successful because they don't have the, that's where we, you interview to be a client at full scale in, in many ways. And we just see a lot of people that they don't have the background, they don't have the resources, they don't have the understanding or experience. And that means they're, they're likely to fail. And sometimes they honestly just have a shitty idea. Yeah. And, you know, so with that, I don't want to contribute to you draining all your cash on something that's bound to fail. Like, you know, I had a guy that's like, I've got an idea that's going to take down Amazon. And I literally said, I don't even want to hear about it. Oh, I've heard He's like, it what all. do you mean? You don't want to hear about it? And I said, I don't because you're, you're not going to depose one of the world's biggest companies. And if you do, you have a very, very long road at doing that. And I don't think I have time for that. So yeah. in certain cases though, you know, you can, if you can, you can do an amazing job, like a brilliant job for in the wrong situation. And that person's going to come out of that, like spitting hate about you publicly, yeah. you know? So you know, find, find the places where you, you can win and you feel comfortable or at least be really transparent about it. You know, saying like, Hey, I did have a startup founder that, you know, so we don't always work with day one startups and there was sometimes they're on the cusp and I'll say, Hey, look, you're, you're on the cusp. Like you're actually the, the kind of client that I say no to more than not. And this is why. And they said, you know what? That's really good input. I think we can fix that. Give me a shot. I said, all right. I mean, if you're, if you're open, you know, and it really just has to do with leadership or having the right people. Now, speaking of leadership, let's be leaders by preparing for the founders freestyle. And, you know, I'm not the, I, I say that's how, that's how I end my shows, but I'm not the only host of Startup Hustles. So, you know, you can tune in every week and you join Andrew Morgans, talk about Amazon and e-commerce and Lauren Conaway, the founder of Innovate Her, who talks about <clears throat> pretty much all the stuff that I'm not brave enough to speak about on a global level. And you can also join Matt Watson's new weekly show. That's right. We, we finally gave Mr. Watson his own weekly show and those have been being published uh, quite a bit. So for those of you that wants to see what it's like when we throw Watson into the host seat rather than the co-host seat, but, but Trisha, for us, it's you and me here together today talking about shit that you shouldn't do when you start a new business. So with the Founders Freestyle, you know, I've had people rap, write poetry, um, ramble on for way too long, um, but mainly go through a list, any list of things that they may have forgotten to say, or I always like talking about the things that really stood out during the episode, but it's your freestyle. So I'm gonna let you do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm happy to talk about whatever you think stood out or I can just go through high level. No, it's your freestyle. I can't do it for you, girl. You got to do it on your own. Okay, got it. Do it on your own. Got it. All right. So top, top tips here for all of you early stage founders out there would be if you're starting a business with somebody else, make sure you're getting a co-founders agreement in place. Make sure you're getting solid contracts in place for all aspects of your business. Don't borrow one that you find online. And if you do, make sure you're having an attorney review it to make sure that it fits your business. And then lastly, make sure that you're protecting your intellectual property and confidential information because they're two of your most valuable assets. And if you fail to protect it, then you are going to be screwed. 
I think that's a very good way to put it. Um, you know, I, I think when, when I look back at this episode and, you know, really if we, I, okay, if you said, Matt, what's the shit I shouldn't do when I start a new business? I would say, hold my beer. And I could like go on for days, like literally like the, trying to squeeze this into 45 minutes or an hour is difficult because there's just 10 million iterations of you can fail at any and every point of the process. I think that when it comes to starting a new business, uh, this is not, you're not the first one. Like, sorry, you're not the pioneer of opening a new business. Like there have been millions that have been done before it. And there are people that specialize in this, like universal registered agents, Meyer law. Like, I mean, there, like, there's a ton of guidance you can get out there and a little bit of thought up front can save you a world of heartache on the back end. Now, look, a lot of businesses get started because you have someone that's passionate about creating some kind of solution. Like, in fact, I believe that most small businesses are actually, actually accidental. Like, you know, someone decided they liked blowing glass and someone else was like, oh, I really like your art. So they start buying it. Next thing you know, someone's got this glass blowing business and it's easy. So the problem is, is you're an artist at that point. You're not necessarily a business person. So you either need to find the advice, the input and the structure for people to do that. So you can focus on the art or you need to find a business partner that's really good at that stuff so they can focus on that and you can focus on the art. Yeah. Or whatever. And then, and then the last thing is, you know, I just really want to tell everyone out there, like, it's easy. Like I, I do recommend having partners and co-founders. I didn't always feel that way. I really do now, but choose them carefully. Cause as I mentioned in million dollar bedroom, it's easier to get rid of your husband, wife, or partner than it is to get rid of your business partner. Mm-hmm. Like you can literally like, I mean, like it really is more difficult to get rid of your business partner than your life partner. So know that going into it and, you know, use tools like slicingpie.com or just like, you know, just, you know, good fences make good neighbors and, you know, you sign the, sign the agreement as well. Like put yourself in the exact same situation as the people you're doing business with and just, you know, give some consideration to that. Remember sunny day and rainy day, any plan, any, any outlook, any projection, anything uh, from that is, is all about, that's it. Plan for the good plan for the bad. And, you know, and, and look, these aren't the most exciting things to talk about what happens if we fail, give some consideration to it. Cause like you, you were saying earlier, like, situations change and someone might want to leave your business. They might, might get six to 12 months into it and under, and be like, you know what? I thought this was for me. It's not. And so now what? And you know, these, these things, these balls of rubber bands are, are uh, best, uh, best undone when they're never built in the first place. So overall, I think that's, that's what I've got. And hopefully many of you listening learned about, I just like saying shit honestly. So being able to say shit you shouldn't do. Yeah. <laughs> it's also why we mark every episode explicit. We've had people that are like, Hey, why is this marked explicit? We didn't cuss. We're like, yeah, but we probably should have. <laughs> so yeah, it happens. Well, thanks for joining me, Tresha. I'll catch up with you down the road. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.